Good morning, saints. <laughs> All right, good morning, sinners. Does that make you feel a little more comfortable? Well, it's that time of the year. What's happening? Well, <clears throat> we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts, gifts, gifts. Where do you get those? You have to go buy them, right? Do you realize the commercial interests have taken over the season so much that Santa had to even rename one of his reindeer? Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Coupon, Donder, and Blitzen, right? Well... This message isn't about three kings from the Orient. It is about two naughty kings, kind of from the Orient, more the Middle East. But, uh, you know, he's making a list. And then what? He's checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Yes, yes, Santa Claus is come. And what's going to happen with you when he gets here? Well, if you've been nice, you've got nothing to worry about, right? I mean, you get everything your little heart desires. That's the deal, right? Well, what have you been naughty? You're in trouble, right? But you still get something from Santa, right? He doesn't leave you in the lurch. You find a stocking crammed full of coal Christmas morning, right? Of course, with the cost of energy being what it is, that's not an altogether bad thing anymore, is it? If you got something to burn coal, right? Well, well, well. But of course, I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Why? I've been nothing but bad. <laughs> Mom and Dad are mad at me, right? That ever happened to you? Oh, boy. Well, you know, you could try to pull the wool over Santa's eyes, correct? Charlie Brown is walking along, comes up to Linus and Lucy Van Pelt. They're standing there with smirks on their face, holding hands. Them? Yes. And they say, we're brother and sister, and we love each other. And Charlie says, you're hypocrites. That's what you are. You really think you can fool Santa Claus with that? And Lucy says, why not? We're a couple of sharp kids, and he's just an old man. Well, what if it's not Santa Claus who's evaluating you? What if it's God? Then what? Can you pull over the pull all over God's eyes? Ugh, don't think so. Well, if you've been, of course, he'd love you to be nice. But what if you've been naughty? What does he do with you? The Heritage Singers had a song about that a few years ago, if I remember right. Well, anyhow, there are. Two kings, and let's see what God did with them. Both of them were pretty naughty, all right? Now, Daniel was a really sharp fellow. He was uh, taken by the Assyrian forces back to Babylon, put in this 
in the palace school for uh, future government people. And his first mealer, he looks at all that stuff the king loves, and he says, I can't eat all that stuff. I defy, and, and I got to drink. He looked at the wine, and it, what a wine list they had. And he said, I'm not going to touch that stuff. Well, you read Daniel 1. God must have been pleased with them, wanting to honor him, honor his body. And he said, uh, I know what I'm going to do with this boy. And he blessed him with all kinds of intelligence and wisdom, and one thing in particular that would have meant a lot to any good Babylonian, he gave him ability to understand dreams and visions. You ever had a dream? You wake up in the morning, what did that mean? What did that mean? It doesn't make sense. Oh, and then you have it the next night in a row. Then you're really troubled. I don't know that... that, Daniel ever interpreted that kind of a dream. But the fellow that was ruling at that time, historically his name was actually Nebuchadnezzar II. We know him as Nebuchadnezzar. Just what would you call him for a nickname? Nezi? Something like that maybe. Anyhow, chapter 4 in the book of Daniel was written not by Daniel but by the king himself. Well, he had a dream. He woke up in the morning, and he wanted to know what it meant. This great, huge tree. I mean, all of the beasts of the field were on her, all the birds nesting in the branches. We called all his wise men in. Now, the first dream he had like that, did he remember? No, it was a big statue. I mean, he had grandiose dreams, being a king, of course. Anyhow, a big statue. He could not remember it. The wise men couldn't tell him what it meant any more than tell him what it was he dreamed. Well, that meant everybody lost their heads, including Daniel. And Daniel went to Ariok. He said, bring me to his majesty. I think I can help him out. Well, he not only the next day told him what he dreamed, he told him exactly what it meant. Well, that had been some years earlier. And now here he has another dream. And the wise man, this time he remembers it, tells him, but the wise man can't tell him any more with this one than they had before. And it's kind of... And somebody said, Sire, summon Daniel. He can help you. Oh, good idea. Get Belteshazzar in here. And so Daniel was summoned, and he listened. And he was so startled by what the dream implied, the king says, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream and its interpretation trouble you. What what is it? He says, oh, sire, your enemies are going to love this one. What? That tree is you, your majesty. Sire, God has blessed you. You've been ruler over all nations, all peoples, all creatures are into your domain. However, Now, did Daniel use this as an opportunity to read the riot act to the king? No, not really. But the king, well, we'll see here. He he said, you are going to be driven from among people and sent out to the wilderness to live with a wild beast for seven years until you know 
that the God of heaven is the one ruling in the affairs of men. And then you will be restored to your kingdom. Sire, let my counsel be acceptable to you, please. How does he say this here? Let me skip down to the next page here. He says, this is verse 27 of Daniel 4. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Perhaps there will be a lengthening of your prosperity. Well, the king didn't list his sins, but a year goes by, and he's strutting his stuff up on top of the palace one day, and he, look at this great Babylon I have built by my majestic power for the glory of my domain and my ruling. And all of a sudden, boom, up there. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken and fulfilled. Instant crazy. Now they call that, Doctor, have you ever run across lycanthropy? Gentlemen, either of you? Lycanthropy, some people see it a real case of clinical lycanthropy. That's where you think you're an animal and you act like one and you sound like one. Well, um, considering the sins he was involved in that it caused God to speak to him like that, do you suppose he'd already been acting somewhat like an animal? You know, sin does not exalt anybody. Sin degrades a people and every person connected with it. And that troubles God because he doesn't want to stand up like that. Well, anyhow, they draw. Why didn't they dispatch the king on the spot? Well, they had a suspicion, a uh, superstition, pardon me. They thought if if a person has something like this and he... Uh, he is dispatched, then whatever it was he had will come upon the one doing the dispatching next. And they didn't want that to happen to them. So, But just in the faint hopes that one of those wild beasts will do in our national embarrassment, they sent him out with a wild beast. And there he is for seven years. What do you think he looked like after seven years? What do you think he smelled like after seven years? Ooh, he's out there prowling around, eating grass like an ox. You suppose he chewed his cut? Anyhow, why did this happen to him? Because of his proudful, haughty naughtiness. All of since he was, God was trying to reason with him. Now, God never takes anything away from us. He wants to give, give, give to us. And so all of a sudden, his sanity is back seven years later, and he looks up, and the first thing he does is bless and honor and thank and praise God for what he gave him. Seven years of insanity? Absolutely. And he says, excellent majesty was added to me as the king. Wow, so that is exactly 
what happened to that naughty king. God gave him seven years of insanity and reached him. He was the most powerful individual on the face of the earth at that time. Now, if God could reach somebody like him, do you think a sitting U.S. president could be reached if he needed it? Absolutely. How about a governor? How about your neighbor? God can reach us all. He knows exactly how. Well, anyhow, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of a heathen nation. He was a king, but he ended up becoming a true believer and worshiper of the God of heaven. Incredible transformation in the most powerful, premier nation of the earth at that time. What about God's kings of God's people? Well, we've got to go to Second Chronicles 33 for this one. Hezekiah was one of the better kings, by the way, whether it be Nebuchadnezzar or King Hezekiah or anybody. If everybody's all the time bowing to you saying, long live the king, long live the queen, and they're saying all those flattering things to you all the time, after a while, what do you begin to think? Oh, I'm really sorry. You know what Ellen White said to do about ministers? Don't ever flatter them. It is a weakness of human nature. People say a lot of nice things about you all the time. You're headed for trouble. (laughs) You really are. Well, anyhow, Hezekiah got a boil in his nose one day. My dad got one of those. You know what they did? He went to the doctor. The doctor slapped him in the hospital so fast. Wham! He wouldn't even let him go home. And I looked at the doctor. He says, how come? And the doctor looked at me like, duh. He says, when you got something that dangerous, that close to your brain, I said, oh, I get it. (laughs) Well, anyhow, he had a boil. Dangerous. And here came the prophet Isaiah. And he says, your majesty, I have a word for you from the Lord. Yes, yes, Isaiah, what, what? He said, get your house in order. You're not going to make it. And what did the king do? Oh, he turns his face to the wall and starts bawling. I don't want to die. I'm trying to be the best king I could. And Isaiah's almost out of the palace. And the Lord says, go give him release 2.0. So he comes back to the king. Your majesty, your majesty. Oh, yes, Isaiah, what? Good news, the Lord's going to give you 15 more years. He is? Now, there were a few problems associated with that. What about those Babylonian representatives that showed up? What did he do with them? Showed his stuff. He didn't draw really attention to the Lord very well. That ended up disastrous for Israel. The second thing was... If you know exactly when you're going to die, when do you start getting ready for it? Unless you're an Egyptian pharaoh building your tomb. You're likely to put it off and put it off. Well, I got another six years. I just, how long does it take to get ready for your end? Probably your whole life. And you can't put this one off. If you're going to be ready for Jesus to come, you really better start cracking on it right away. 
my recommendation. All right, the third problem was if he'd had any idea what kind of a child he was going to have during those 15 years, Manasseh turned out to be one of the absolute worst. He might have had a second or even a third or fourth thought about that, right? He could have. Anyhow, Manasseh was 12 when he comes to the throne, and he ruled for 55 years. Now, the thing that is different with one of God's kings to one of the heathen kings, Nebuchadnezzar simply said, sins. But when it came to a ruler of God's people, it lists them. He rebuilt the high places his father had torn down. It says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like the abominations of the heathen nations the Lord drove out before his people is Israel. That is in verse 2 of Second Chronicles 33. He erected altars to the Baals, made Asherahs, worshipped and served the host of heaven, and he even built altars to the host of heaven in the courts of God's house. Now, what are the hosts of heaven? I'll give you a couple names. Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces. What are we dealing with? The astrological signs. Had a gal coming to evangelistic meetings one time, and she swore by astrology. She says, it always happens. I was the host pastor, and the evangelist looked at her, and Joe said, you know what? I think the devil's simply telling you what he's planning to do in your life tomorrow. And if you repudiate it, it'll quit working. She said, really? He said, try it and see. She reputed, repudiated astrology. And the next time she was there, we asked her, well, she says, that's funny. It doesn't work anymore. That's all those things are simply the devil telling you what he's planning to do in your life tomorrow. Well, anyhow, that's what that was. Now, astrology to us today is a shadow of what it once was. Now, he burned his sons as offering to the heathen gods. Wow. Of course, the idea behind that is, I'll give you something valuable, and then you give me back what I want. It's kind of a negotiating deal, wheeling dealing with the Lord. Anyhow, so he sacrificed his sons. How many do you think died that way? I don't know. We don't know. Tragic, even one. It says he practiced fortune-telling, omens and sorcery, and dealt with mediums and necromancers. Now, what do mediums do? Well, they talk to the dead and connect you with a dead person, right? Where you can, the famous classic story on that was Bishop James Pike. His son committed suicide, and then the lady, not too far from where he lived, came to him and said, Bishop, we have these meetings, and your son is appearing and is asking for you 
So would you mind joining with us? Well, this is the kind of meeting where you sit around in a darkened room in a round table and everybody puts their hands up, kind of like an Ouija board. And they, the, whoever's in charge, the medium, brings up whoever. Well, Bishop Pike started communicating with his dead son, Jim. Well, pretty soon his son says, Dad, I want you to go to the Judean desert because I want to meet you there. Oh, okay, so he went there. And he went out in the wilderness, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they finally had to go look for him, and they found him dead. Who did that? Satan. Necromancers, spirit mediums, witches. These are all human beings under the control of the devil that he uses to suck you in and kill you. Anyhow, this is what was happening to to Manasseh and the worst thing of all is he provoked the Lord to anger, but he put a carved image in the Lord's house to take an object representing something God has created and worship it instead of him in his house is the height of insult. So, what happened? God spoke to the people. Let me get to the next page here. God spoke to the people, verse 10. But they blew him off. They paid no attention whatsoever. And he, uh, God said, all right, then I guess we'll have to use a little tough love here. Does God know how to do that? Do you know how to do that with your children? Oh, yes, he, he, uh, he was able to do that. First thing you know, here comes the king of Assyria, and he, put, he captured him and put him in bronze shackles. Now, the question is, why bronze? That was a shiny, fancy metal. Why not just plain old iron? Well, he was the Lord's anointed. Nothing's too good for them, Right? Bronze or brass shackles, polished, looked wonderful. And the other thing he did, he put hooks in his body, and he hauled him to Babylon and threw him in the dungeon. Now, if you were a king like that, what would you think at that point? It's all over. I'm going to die here like this. I was in chapel in college one Wednesday morning. They had a fellow come in to tell his story to us. He had been a hitman for the mob. I don't remember how many people he said he remembered killing, but it was more than a couple. He was in a cell, and they had thrown the key away for the rest of his life. And he got to thinking about God And he thought, I wonder, I've made such a horrible mess out of my life. I wonder if I turned it over to God, what would happen? And so he clumsily in the middle of his cell got on his knees to pray. And he talked to God from his heart how he was a sinner. And he wanted God to take what was left of his life and do something good with it. And he got off his knees and sat on the bunk 
And within about an hour, do you know what happened? Now, this guy was incarcerated forever, according to the court. What happened next? About an hour, the turnkey showed up. So get your stuff. You're coming with me. So gathered his stuff and walked, walked with him to the warden's office. The warden had him change clothes, take off his prison and put on street clothes. And he handed him his farewell, whatever they give them when they leave. And he says, you're a free man. There's the door. Use it wisely. He said, you know, to this day, I don't know why that happened or how it happened. But I know that it happened. And I'm a free man serving God today. In his moment of extremity, what did he do? He turned to God. Now, here is where, write this down. I'll let you study it at another time for yourself. Psalm 107, okay? Psalm 107. It talks about four problems that human beings have that we can get into. Trouble number one, somebody missed the turn. They didn't see the sign, and they're lost totally. Number two is someone just like Manasseh who takes what God says and does this back. They rebel against what God says. I'm going to do what I want to. And they end up in a dungeon somewhere bound either by another king or by their own sins and wickedness. Trouble number three is somebody who because of their sins basically destroys their health and life. And trouble number four is somebody who's a commercial fisherman out on the water and he suddenly, wham, here comes a storm, like the disciples with Jesus probably more than once. You know what that psalm says each of these people did? They turned to the Lord and called on him in their distress. Anybody here got a problem right now? You don't have to wait till you got to straighten out. You can call on him right now. They did, and it says each time God called, or whether they called on him, God heard, he answered, and he delivered them. He brought them out of their distress. Those lost, he showed them a city they could go to and live. I'll come back to Manasseh in a minute. Those who almost lost their health, they called on the Lord. He restored their health. And number four, those out there in the waters, they pled and the Lord quieted the storm and brought them to their desired haven. And each time it says, let them praise and thank the Lord for his goodness. Now, here in Second Chronicles 33, verse 12, when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and God, what happened? It says God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. He put him back on the throne. Wow. 
Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Do you suppose he had the scars from those hooks the rest of his life? Probably. What about the calluses from those shackles around his wrists and ankles? Probably. But what he had, after being incarcerated like that, it says he entreated the mercy of the Lord his God. Remember the story of Saul? Samuel meets him. And they argue back and forth as to whether Saul has done what God said, which he hasn't. And finally, as Samuel turns to go, he in angry, angry, grabs him and tears his garment. And Samuel says, the Lord has torn the kingdom from your hand and given it to a neighbor of yours better than you. At which point, Saul has nothing further to say except to admit it. I have sinned against the Lord. But he said, Samuel, would you come with me and honor me as I worship the Lord, your God? Whose God? It wasn't Saul's God. It was Samuel's God. It says he turned to the Lord and entreated the favor of the Lord, his God. What had happened in that dungeon? He had turned to God and made him his God in his distress. Listen, you may be facing the end of all things according to you right now. You leave here, you don't know what you're going to do. You can do what these two haughty, naughty kings did. And all these other people that got in despair and distress, you can call upon the Lord your God and entreat his mercy and help. He will hear you, and you know what will happen? He'll answer. Now, if you don't reason very well, you know, come let us reason together. If you don't reason very well, and you're just kind of hard of hearing, you don't have spiritual hearing aids, the Lord could allow some difficult times to come, but there's a reason for it, so that you will realize how much you really want him in your life. Because he really wants you in his life. Do you realize how precious you are to him? He loves you. And the trouble is there just simply so that you'll turn to him and he'll be able to do for you only what he can. Now, What did Nebuchadnezzar get for Christmas? Seven years of insanity and a whole new life from the God of heaven. What did Manasseh get? I don't know how long he was there, but sometime in the Babylonian dungeon, but a whole new life. Both of these men were reborn. One that the most powerful man on the face of the earth in those days, became a humble believer and a worshiper in the true God of heaven. And the other, one of God's people, his ruler of his people, who'd arrogantly lost his way, both of them turned to the Lord, called upon him, and God gave them new life, new hearts, and nothing was ever the same again for them. He'll do that for you. Anybody here 
want to call on the Lord. Psalm 107, this is verse 43, the last verse, it says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. You know what that means? He is your God always, no matter what. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less. It's just he loves you with his very life. He wants you to love him that way. I'm going to say a prayer before we sing that song in closing. But I want to invite you when I get to that point that you tell God, and I'm I'm going to pray this for the sake of someone here who may be in a bad way and needs God. So let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, as you look down upon us gathered here, although we came for different reasons, from different places, Father, with sin we're all in trouble but some of us may be in very serious difficulties. And so this morning, as we conclude this service, we look to you and we ask you, Father, would you come take hold of what's here in our life and restore us in the way you want. May we become a praise of your honor, of your glory. Please intervene and work your miracles of grace for us. And we thank you so much. And I pray that if there's one person who is facing real disaster, even one, that you'll encourage them before they leave, that they'll know you're going to go to work on their behalf, save them, and make a new life for them, and bring resolution to what is horrible-looking, future. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you realize wise men still seek him? Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.